Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Slice Podcast. Today, it's your host again, Nathan Rapaka. I want to wish everyone a happy new year again. We are fully fledged into the new year. It's my first episode in this 2021 year. Um, first off, before we start this podcast, I want to talk about the events of last of yesterday, actually, the whole day, and kind of speak to it and just say, I am very disappointed. I'm disgusted. I'm what happened yesterday was dangerous. It was violent. It was despicable. It was just the worst thing that could happen to start 2021. And we've already had bad things already start. You know, we, you know, Dr. Dre had a brain aneurysm. Um, that 70 show Tanya was um, in a coma and unfortunately she passed away. She was one of the most iconic um, characters in a sitcom, Midge, for those That 70 Shows fans out there. So not a good start as it already has been. And now we have this crap that I have to talk about this morning. I would be remiss not to talk about it because everyone's talking about it. It was really bad. Um, It was not a good representation of America's democracy last night. Um. I, I I don't know what else to really say except it's the one thing that really pissed me off was seeing the pictures of on Twitter showing police officers letting these protesters in without any security checks. But when a colored or a black person did would do that, they would be it would be so many police, the National Guard would be there military barriers surrounding them, arresting them. That didn't happen yesterday. What that showed me yesterday is white America is ruling the world right now. I think yesterday should show people out there who were like, oh, Black Lives Matter. Oh, people are just like whining. It's a real thing in America. There is huge white power, white supremacy in America. After what I saw yesterday, I'm very disgusted. Um, I don't know what to really say on it because I, it's just something I've never experienced in my life. The last time the Capitol was rushed and the people went against the government was in the goddamn 1800s. It's 2021. (laughs) Come on, guys. Like it's 2021 and we're still dealing with this today, hundreds of years later. It's, it's disgusting and I'm tired of it. And What I want to say is, guys, we have to be together at this time. We have to really push the factor of peace and love because that's not happening anymore. And I'm very disappointed in our president's judgment yesterday. Um, I'm tired of the guy, I'll be honest. And the reason I'm saying that is all my friends know, who know me know why. And you'll probably be shocked I'm saying this. I'm tired of him. And I'm done with the shenanigans now. And yesterday really disappointed me. You know, at times like this, you have to look at your morals versus your political views. And I'm looking at my morals and values. And my parents didn't raise me this way. My parents didn't raise me to be a man who supports violent protest and support unfair um, unfair acts like this. So... I'm taking my values and morals into the equation. I'm done with this guy. It's ridiculous. 
I think if I was the vice president, I would try to invoke that 25th Amendment because even he's tired of him. So I have nothing to say about him anymore, and I'm not even going to name him because this has just ruined your legacy. It's ruined everything. So anyways, it was a disgusting act of violence, and the people who did this should all be freaking arrested because if it was a black person or any colored person, um, you would have arrested him, and most likely it would have been a blood fest. There would be a lot of killings, a lot of murders. So anyways, I'm done with yesterday. It was a disgusting act. Third world countries are laughing at us today. You know what else that showed? You know what's funny about this? The fact that our own citizens could rush Capitol Hill. What does that show to our enemies? That freaking shows, hey, if they can do it, these normal citizens, we can do it with guns, bombs, nukes, whatever. So great. You just showed our enemies, um, all the protesters, Trump protesters, that they can come into our country and do the same thing but make it 10 times worse. So congrats on that. You just showed how weak we are as a country. So anyways, really bad day. Um, Bad judgment on our president for not even specifying. You know, the funny thing is he put out of his speech for two minutes. Instead of saying stop the violence and that's it, he went on a tangent and kept mentioning the damn fraudulent votes. The electoral college, like, stop. It's over. Biden won fair and square. I don't care what anyone says. Biden won. And as someone who's on, who's more conservative than on the left, Biden won the election, fair and square. There are more voters this year, more voter turnout. Um, Trump screwed up coronavirus. He has had a bad rep this year. So there you go. That's why he lost. So I'm done with the notion that this has been a fraudulent election. It's over. Stop fighting it. I don't care about the election anymore. I care about the well-being of the people. They need to be protected. Four people were hurt yesterday. I think someone even died. Like, come on, guys. This is not the way it's supposed to be. And the fact that Trump held a rally and enticed this pisses me off. It's over. It's childish. We're not in high school anymore. Peaceful protests are fine. But violent? No. That was just straight violence. And... It looked like we were animals. That's how America was represented. And those are not those people are not a representation of proper, hardworking Americans at all. That is not a representation of America. That is a representation of racist Confederate people. That's the best way I can put it. There were people putting Confederate flags everywhere. Like I was just so appalled seeing that in our America's capital. It was disgusting. Um, anyways, guys, I just wanted to bring awareness on that. And, you know, I, I'm just, I don't know what to say. I, yesterday, I was really bummed out. I couldn't believe it. So I hope everyone else is doing well. And I hope everyone's just, you know, this is a time where we need to pray. We really need to pray and kind of do some soul searching here. Because is this the way we want to have the next four years? Because I guarantee you, It's not going to be as bad when Biden joins, but there's still going to be a lot of protests. You know, there's still going to be this notion and someone's got to stop Trump at this point um, for real. And that's coming from me. So someone's got to stop Trump. Anyways, guys, I wanted to put out that note before I even started this episode, because I think it's very important for everyone who are in podcasts, who are in um. 
you know, kind of speaking about this, it's very important to bring up and build awareness about it. Anyways, today's episode is going to be a unique one. Um, I wanted to talk about why isn't tennis as popular as it was in the 70s, 80s, and 90s? Why isn't it as popular? You know, it's funny. My dad, many other older uncles I know, um, it's they would tell me the 80s was the golden age of tennis. 80s, mid-90s, um, even the 70s and 80s, starting with Borg and McEnroe, excuse me, were amazing in the U.S. But now tennis popularity in the U.S. has gone down. Um. And I'm going to analyze why that's happened. I'm going to analyze why tennis is not popular in the U.S. Um, There's a lot of causes for this. Obviously, there was a big boom in the 70s and into the early 80s. And there was a lot of factors to that. And that has not been replicated and will probably never be able to. So the open era of tennis started in 1968. Prior to that, Professional players were not allowed to compete in any of the four Grand Slams, nor in Davis Cup play. Tennis's top titles did not feature all the top tennis players in the day. But once the Open era came into existence in 1968, it was possible for the top tennis players to earn a good living, earn a lot of money, earn those ad deals, and everything like that. That's why the Open era of tennis is very important. Because you got to realize tennis was a rich country club sport, and it only had really a small niche interest at the time. But once the open era came in 1968, it allowed tennis to be one of the professional sports, being like a football, basketball, baseball. So that's why it that's when it really boomed. We had the broadcast come in finally in 69 in NBC. We had Wimbledon. We had the French Open on NBC in in 1975. So tennis started being on professional channels, like those professional um, cable vision channels. So now, what else contributed to this huge popularity? A cast of characters was number one, right? There were many characters, tennis players, that really piqued interest back in the day. Borg, for example, born Borg. They used to call him the Iceman because he was incredible when he was under pressure. He was very calm. He had that Federer type of personality to him. We had a Jimmy Connors who was very fiery. He was a brash American. He was a nasty man. He had incredible hand skills. He had a great attitude. We had John McEnroe who had the amazing touch at net. He was known for his fiery performance is and always coming at refs. We had great personalities like that that we don't have today. If we go on the woman's side, we had Chris Everett, who was someone who was a very symbolic person in America. She was really um, the lady-like tennis player. We had someone like a Billie Jean, who was a very good feminist in tennis. She really changed the culture of tennis um, as far as having that boyish look, being one of the first openly um, gay uh, woman tennis players, which was awesome. Martina Navatora, who was someone who redefined the way athletes prepare, prepare, prepare for tennis matches as far as fitness within the women's games. There were heroes and villains, pretty much. You know, that's how the characters and the players were in tennis. 
it was really capitalizing on that popularity that was found in this in 1968. So, and then once like the 80s and early 90s rolled around, we had even more characters, right? We had Yvonne Lendo, we had Andre Agassi in the 90s, in the early 90s, who was someone who started the whole stylistic approach of tennis. He wore the weird shoes. He wore the weird um, uh, headband. It, he was just, he's the one who renewed interest really in the 90s. But we had so many consistent characters, right? We had Pete Sampras, we had Jim Corrier, who all had great characters. You know, they were all great characters. It was a very competitive sport. There was, in the top 20 itself, there were people beating each other all the time in America. What's the one thing you guys got from that, though? Most of the players I mentioned were American players. We don't see a European in this. Yes, you had the Yvonne Lendl, you had the Borgs and Borgs of the world, but most of those players are Americans. And we fast forward today, who's ruling the world? In tennis, the Europeans are, the Federers, the Nadals, the Djokovic's, I mean, the Murray's. So as you can tell, in America, there was a lot of hometown heroes for people that were born in the 70s and the 80s. We had John McEnroe, who was a hero. You know, he's one of the Americans who won eight Grand Slams. We had Yvonne Lendo, who, who wasn't an American, but he was a worthy rival to John McEnroe. Same with Borg. And in the 90s, you had Agassi, Corey, and Sampras in the mid-90s that they were winning everything. They were the top of the sport. That's why it was so popular in the U.S. because we had top players in the sport. So those are the two. So you have your heroes, right? There's different type of characters in the tennis world, not only U.S. players, but European players. But it was mostly dominated by the U.S. game on the women and the men's side. Also, back in the 70s and the 80s, we had the, we had the McEnroe's, right, who were instilling a culture of that American brashness, that will to not give up, to fight for everything, that New York East Coast attitude. So those are the two main reasons on why the U.S. market for tennis grew worldwide more than any other market. You would be surprised in the 70s and 80s, tennis was the leader in sports. One of the big leaders, if not the best. People were earning money left and right. Also, I would say number three, the playing styles were different. Borg and Borg had a lot of speed and endurance. He was someone who had stamina like no other. He had a, a great topspin that would wear down a lot of opponents. So the topspin is something that wears down opponents. It's a ball that kicks up, and it's really hard to get back, right? McEnroe was someone who used his racket, and back then the rackets were small heads. They were like 85, 90s, and he was someone who would come to net. He was a serve and volley type of player. He had the greatest volleys I've ever seen, amazing hands. Um, he would always come in behind the serve and counterattack you. Jimmy Connors was someone who had the most amazing forehand. He had that flat forehand on all parts of the court. Lendo was someone who had a crazy topspin. And he over, overwhelmed everyone from both the left wing and the right wing on the court. Chris Everett was someone who was a deep hitter. She hit a lot of deep balls, which also overwhelmed the opponents. Because when you're getting a deep ball, you have to really think quickly. Because otherwise, you're going to be in a bad position and not have the right form. And you'll go back. Same thing with Navator, Sorry, Martina and Billie Jean King. They were serving volley players. And they went to net 
anytime possible, and they would always win at net. So you had different playing styles that really intrigued fans and people who were just starting out on tennis and trying to learn the game. Um, you know, so, and in the 90s, we had people like Boris Becker, who was just winning on the serve. He had the big serve, power serving, and made points a lot more shorter. Because in the 90s, you can see the game starting to shift from a slower game to a more fast-paced game, right? Because once technology improves, racket strings improve, we start to see big serves and points being more short, which is true. And people started to get bored of tennis in the 90s because things were not as, um, how do you say, not as spectacle as the long rallies. They weren't as exciting. You weren't on the edge of your seat seeing the long rallies, 30, 40 ball rallies. Um, also, the one-handed backhand, which is a backhand stroke. You have a one-handed and a two-handed. That was dying. People started using the two-handed as tennis grew because the one-handed backhand is not as effective as it was back in the 70s and the 80s. Once the 90s came around, a lot of people said, oh, the two-hand backhand actually creates more power and less, um, less errors on the stroke. We have like two or three players nowadays who do those backhands, single-hand backhands. But yeah, so obviously the playing styles have changed drastically. You know, now nowadays the playing styles are very similar. You know, it's like in basketball how the mid-range game is dying now. It's all about the three-point shot. It's all about spreading the floor. You don't have the real center like a Shaquille O'Neal anymore or like a Ben Wallace. Those guys are not there. So back then, you, their physicality was different. It was a lot more fun, long rallies. That's number three, right? Um, anyways, so those, I think, are the top three for me as far as, like, why they were popular. Now, why is it not popular today? Simple. It is dominated by so many by a few amount of players. The Europeans are dominating everything in this sport. The last American tennis player, last American men's tennis player to win a Grand Slam was Andy Roddick, and that was at the US Open back in 2003. Obviously, on the women's side, it's different. We had Serena Williams, right? Venus Williams. We have had Sophia Kennan. But even on the women's side, we've had... Different types of players coming up. Naomi Osaka has come up. Pliskova, right? A lot of Simona Halep, different players. Ashley Barty, Australian. So it's very few and growing. It's been, it's subsided a lot. And that's one of the reasons why I think tennis, it's, it's such a great sport and I wish it was better. But that's really why it's been dying, tennis. Um, American tennis is really dying. Even now in the NCAA, there are great tennis programs that are actually being canceled due to the fact that no one is playing tennis anymore in America. You know, there was once a time back in the day where there were so many top players coming from the NCAA in America. Now they don't because the Europeans are so advanced in the sport that America is having a tough time to compete now. So, you know, it's that's kind of why tennis has declined. That's why it was so popular back in the day, because you had so many different personalities. You had Americans 
holding the heap. You know, the last great American to do it was Pete Sampras and Andre Agassi. Or actually, uh, I would say like consistent Grand Slam winners, it's Pete Sampras and Agassi. Roddick only won one Grand Slam. To be fair, he had a great career. He made it to a couple of finals, but he would lose. He lost to Federer and a couple of Wimbledons. So, and another thing, obviously, in America, we are so into the football, the basketballs, um, baseballs, and even golf. A lot of people think tennis is like a recreational sport, and it's not a macho man sport because, you know, people think it's easy, but tennis is a very, very tough sport to play. It's not easy, and I think the reason it gets a bad rep, it's not easy to perfect and be good at it, you know? It's it's easier to be a te- it's easier to be a football player. It's easier to be a basketball player than it is to be a tennis player. You have to have technical skill. You have to have mental skill. You have to have footwork, hand-eye coordination. There's a bunch of things you have to take into consideration. If you're a singles player, you have to think about the me- the mental aspect. Am I really going to win this? And also, I think the way America has it's it's become lazier now. It takes years to perfect the sport of tennis versus another sport. And yeah, of course, in basketball, football, you have to perfect it too. But I feel like tennis is harder. Tennis takes a lot more than just physical skills. It's technical, mental. And usually people in America, they're more attracted to that team sport, right? Because we were a nation built upon that team attitude, being one nation. So that's why there's a lot of spirit in that. And that's why tennis isn't as popular. Um, so yeah, a lot of people pick on tennis saying it's easy, but it's really not. And that's something that I had to deal with in high school a lot. People would say tennis is the easiest sport. I still remember there's one guy on the football team. I'm not going to name his name, but he said tennis was easy. So you know what he did since he, cause he's an athlete. He said, Oh, it's going to be easy to pick up. Dude came on the court. We, we rallied. So we fed him a ball. He tried to hit a forehand as hard as he could. He hit it a home run out of the, out of the fence onto the other side of the road. So tennis is not an easy sport. It's very tough, you know? So that's one of the reasons why it's not as popular today. And that's why it was such a popular sport in the U.S. back in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. And unfortunately, to say the least, um, the reason tennis is still hanging to a tooth and nails because of the three guys, Nadal, Djokovic, and Federer. That's what people care about, um, to be honest. And that's why I I wanted to make this podcast to kind of get people really into tennis. Because, you know, the funny thing is I see a lot of people trying to play tennis. I do see it. People love playing the sport. People love kind of going out there and having fun, especially during this COVID. I've seen a lot of people ask me to play tennis. But I think you should get into the habit of watching it, too. It's a really fun sport. Anyways, guys, that is my two cents on why tennis is dying in the U.S. and how it really gained popularity. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I like doing episodes like this because it shows really my passion for the game and how I really want it to improve in our U.S. today. You know, the, the really gratifying thing about doing this podcast, I get to share my passion on a daily basis. But the main reason I wanted to do this was to kind of bring the love back to this game in the U.S., Because I think it's a sport that needs to be glorified more. I think it's a very interesting sport to grasp. I think it's better than golf, first of all. 
I, you know, I still understand how people like golf over tennis. But anyways, um, that's my goal about this podcast to get you guys interested if I can. Um, so anyways, guys, tune in. Please view my episode. Once again, if you want to view it, view it. If not, it's fine too. But I would really like you guys to view it and at least take a chance. You know, you never know until you try something, right? So at least take a chance. I've had a few friends who haven't taken the chance and they really love the podcast and they love the analysis. So I hope you guys do the same. Once again, I also wanted to highlight before I end this episode, do not miss the Australian Open. For those first-time tennis viewers who are trying to listen to the podcast, trying to see, eh, is this a sport for me? Watch the Australian Open. Trust me, you will have the best time of your life. It is fun. It is great. I really highly recommend watching it. It's a grand slam to start off the year. Um, yeah, and if anything, go on YouTube. Check out highlights of Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic. Check out Intense Points. See if you actually like it then. But anyways, guys, thank you again for tuning into this podcast. Um, I'll see you next time. Bye-bye.